Hello, everyone. This is, my name is Kofi Apia for another edition of the Broadcast Journal. We're here at the Prudential Center. My guest, Matt Laughlin, he is the Devils radio play-by-play announcer. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing well, Kofi. Uh, thanks for asking me to join you. No problem. Um, so the, uh, the Devils played against the Columbus Blue Jackets. How would you assess that game? Well, the Devils came in, obviously, off the loss to Boston. They had been winless in six. They were taking on one of the best teams in the league. And then they got some bad news before the game when they found out that Damon Severson and Miles Wood would both be out with what are not long-term injuries, but enough to keep them out of the lineup against Columbus. That, combined with the trades they made, which weakened them in terms of experience, combined with some more injuries prior to the one suffered by Severson and by Wood, all added up to an inexperienced lineup against a strong team. And while I don't think the outcome was unexpected, I'm not sure that given who the Devils were able to skate, you could expect them to win. I think maybe being shut out and, and having as few shots as they did was not expected. And so it was a disappointing night. I think the guys put in the effort, a reasonable effort, but not enough. All right, well, let's go. Let's take it all the way back to when you first decided you wanted to become a sports broadcaster. What made you want to become a sports broadcaster? You know, it, it really was a stroke of luck, to be honest with you, and, and just a sheer happenstance. I went to Seton Hall University. I had intended to leave there with a degree in accounting, and I wound up leaving with a degree in marketing, but fortunately I've never had to use the degree. Didn't really like accounting, was trying to figure out something to do, always loved sports, loved listening and watching to the games, and so they have a station, WSOU, which has been going on now nearly 70 years, which is student-run, and at the end of my freshman year, I said, you know, it sounds like fun. I never really knew where or if I could go anywhere with it, but I thought it would be fun at least while I was there. And so I went in and volunteered, and I just really found something I loved. So combined with the fact that I didn't like accounting all that much, but I wanted to get out in four years, I switched to uh, marketing so I could get that degree in business. But as I said, I never used it. And really, it was just I, I found something I loved. I stumbled upon it. I didn't grow up thinking I'd be a broadcaster. I didn't think I'd be in this business. I just found it, to be honest with you. So back in the radio station, Seen Hall, uh, do you cover any of the sports at Seen Hall? I did them all, yep. Yeah, at the time, Seton Hall actually had a football team. Now soccer dominates in the fall. But at any rate, they had a Division three football team. They played Division one basketball, Division one baseball. So we did all of those games. Uh, that was it. We didn't really do any of the other you know, softball, wrestling, those kind of sports. But, yeah, uh, at the time, as a matter of fact, there was no commercial outlet for Seton Hall sports as there is today on the radio side. So we were the only outlet if you were a Seton Hall Pirate fan. And it was a great deal of fun. So I, I see here, I'm, I have your bio here, that you started at um, WCTC in New Brunswick. Yep. What are your memories working there? Yeah, that was my first job out of Seton Hall. Uh, I was looking to start a career and set my sights on all the big stations. And, you know, I thought that uh, who wouldn't want someone fresh out of school, 21 years of age, and very little experience. What's wrong with that picture? <laughs> and so after getting rejection after rejection from stations that wanted someone with more experience, I set my sights on something a little more realistic. WCTC is a station based out of uh, New Brunswick. I'm from Middlesex County, so it was in my backyard. I had been listening to WCTC growing up. They were and are uh, a Rutgers flagship station. 
uh, I guess WR is now the flagship station, but CTC was broadcasting their games exclusively back then and is still part of their network. At any rate, so I was familiar with it, provided the local sports, the local news, and so I knocked on their door, got rejected for a while, but finally by the end of that summer, I got hired part-time to work on a sports show uh, called Football USA, and I worked that into a full-time job. My memories are uh, that it it gave me some hope. What I tell people who are looking to start in this business that you've got to look for something that gives you hope. And I, I didn't know whether I could make it in this business. I didn't have a job. And it was my first job. And it didn't pay a whole heck of a lot, but it gave me a lot of experience of writing on deadline, reporting live, doing news, digging out some stories. And it gave me a sense that, okay, at least I have the ability to get to a certain level, and who knows where it would go if I continued to develop those skills. So it was really all about hope and a small paycheck. <laughs> um, so from um, so from there, um, would you go after CCC? Yeah, while I was at Seton Hall, uh, Bob Lee, who now works at ESPN now, he has been at ESPN since its inception, but is you know one of the great electronic journalists, mm-hmm. sports journalists of our time, uh, he was working for a small cable system called Suburban Cablevision. They had a local channel called TV3, which did high school football games, mayor's talk shows, a lot of local programming. He was the sports director there. He came back to Seton Hall. He had heard me on the air. Uh, whatever it was, we ran into each other. He said, listen, we're only based over in East Orange. You're in South Orange. Why don't you come over, and I can help you learn the tricks. So I did. I went over there and volunteered. After I graduated, they didn't have an opening. I did some work for them. As I mentioned, I went to WCTC. But after a year at CTC, they had an opening at TV3 in their sports department. The job I had at WCTC was mostly news. The job I was going to was almost exclusively sports. That's what I wanted to do. I got a pay raise as well. And so I dipped my toe into television. And I stayed there until 1994, early 94, uh, when I left, I worked my way up to being the sports director there. Uh, while I was there, toward the end, though, I started to do a lot of work for a station called Sports Channel, which eventually uh, bought Madison Square Garden and then changed its name to MSG, I guess it's MSG Plus now. Uh, there were some iterations of Fox Sports News and Fox Sports Net and Fox <laughs> Sports Net New York. Yeah. But anyway, started to work regional television. Yeah, actually, a few years ago, I actually saw that you, because I went to Immaculate Conception High School in Montclair. There I you saw go. that you did a game against mm-hmm. Verona back in 92. So is there any like, particular games that you remember um, covering when you were doing Cablevision? Yeah, there, there, there are a few. Um, we had a state football championship game. I want to say it was 1984. Four. Uh, Tony Stewart was a great runner for Union High School. He wound up going to the University of Iowa and played professionally for a while before a knee injury ended his career. Uh, he was just a fantastic player. What a runner. He was also a great athlete. He was a state champion in track as well. At any rate, they played Montclair in a state championship game that was played actually in Bloomfield. And I don't know, there were 8,000 people, 9,000 people in the stands. And it was a muddy track. And Tony Stewart just found a little outside lane late in the game and wound up scoring to give Union the state championship. That's a game I remember. Montclair played Camden High School in the Group 4 state championship. Bob Lester was their head coach. The game was held at uh, the RAC, Rutgers Athletic Center, and Camden 
was this great, big, powerful team. Had a wonderful program under Clarence Turner, and they were the number one team in the state. And Montclair was a very good team, but undersized and not given much of a chance. And Bob Lester coached them to the brink of a victory, but still, it was a Camden win. Anyway, things like that. You know, what I mostly remember is an opportunity to cover sports at what I call its purest level, where the kids are just playing for their local team. It's changed a little bit, I know, as money has come in and national rankings and things like that. But it still, to me, is the purest level. You're just playing for your local school. Most of those guys and girls won't go anywhere beyond high school. So that's what I really mostly remember about it. And, and, and that and the fact that in the area, we covered primarily Essex County and Union County, some Middlesex and some Hudson County. But there were great athletes, you know, um, that wound up playing professionally. Tony Siragusa, who worked at Fox for a long time but won a Super Bowl with the Ravens in Baltimore, you know, is just an example of that. So I got a chance to cover some great athletes, met some great people, and had a lot of fun. Is there enough noise in the background? (laughs) You know, we're here at Prudential Center, and they're cleaning up a little bit after the game. Yeah, you actually talked, uh, touched on this uh, a little bit earlier in one of your answers. You said you got your big break doing a sports channel in New York, right? Yeah. And I see here that it was you got a break doing Hostra football and lacrosse. Yeah, that uh, yeah Hostra lacrosse actually was the first opportunity I have to leave real local cable and move to a regional basis. You know, similar to leaving college, knocking on doors, sending out resumes, I had reached the point at Suburban Cablevision where I thought, all right, I still like what I'm doing, but I want to see if I can move beyond that. So you send out your resume tapes at the time. You know, it wasn't a file that you sent on, and you didn't have an online resume. Uh, You did it what I call the old school way. And, you know, I was... You know, I, I was getting polite rejections. Hey, we like your work, but there are no openings. And then finally, after knocking on Sports Channel's door for a while, Jerry Passaro, who was their executive producer, gave me a call and said, uh, you know, what do you think? Can you handle uh, doing college lacrosse? Now, I had done some high school lacrosse while I was at TV3, and so the sport's played at a higher level, but it's the same basic game. So I said, sure. And so uh, I did some Hofstra lacrosse. Hofstra-Princeton was the first game I ever did, and that got my foot in that door. It took a long time before I was able to develop, or that's not not develop, but it it took a long time before I turned that one opportunity into a full-time opportunity with Suburban, I mean, excuse me, with Sports Channel, but I wound up doing more Hofstra lacrosse, Hofstra football, filling in for guys. Then slowly an opportunity came about with the uh, New Jersey Nets and the Devils and just kept working, just kept churning. I I think that's the the part that I'm most proud of of my career is that I just kept at it, you know? Um, Recently, I refused to go to Hofstra football. They ended their program. Did you... What were your thoughts when you heard that? Well, that was well after I stopped covering them. And I didn't really have any loyalties, per se, to Hofstra football because I was really just a, uh, a guy covering sports. Um, I think it's a shame when any sport is cut. Uh, you know, I, I think that athletics clearly has a place on the college landscape. I, I, I do understand how the big boys dominate that landscape. 
But I, I do think back to my days at Seton Hall when we were a Division Three football team, and you know there, there were no there was no chance that the Pirates were going to win a national championship. All well, a couple of years before I went to Seton Hall, they won the national club championship or went to the finals. But at any rate, you know what it was? It was something to do on a Saturday for the students. Now, I know you're a Penn State guy, and so football at Penn State <laughs> yeah. is a far different animal and does a lot more than just give the students something to do. But at every level uh, of football across the country, yeah, it's for the students. Or, you know, give you something to do on a Saturday, go to a basketball game on a Tuesday. So I'm saddened when teams cut sports because invariably it's done not because of a lack of success. It's really done so that they could fund their better sports. And I just don't know. At times I wonder if that arms race is worth it. Uh, there are only a handful of teams really at the highest level, and they do dominate. And can can Hofstra ever win a national championship in basketball? Is it worth putting all the eggs in that basket? I don't know. Now, you actually touched on this. Uh, so you talked about, you actually you said you got a break with the Net, uh, New Jersey Nets doing their coverage. Yep. Talk about your memories doing that. Well, this was at a time when the Nets were not very good, to be honest with you. Uh, they're not very good. <laughs> this year either but uh back then it was it was a different story um i i was lucky enough they weren't really that good in the first couple of years but as sports channel at the time and now again it's msg plus had the rights to the nets games they've now moved on to the yes network so at the time as i was doing a little bit more work there and i guess proving my way uh the people in charge of sports channel jerry Pissarro and bob depoto who was his assistant and Bob now a big coordinating producer at MSG, uh, you know, they wanted to add to what they did. So they wanted to expand their programming and, and people involved. So again, I guess I proved myself and they gave me an opportunity. So it, I mean, it was fantastic. This is professional sports, man. I do enjoy basketball immensely. Uh, while the Nets struggled, shortly after I was there, they started to get better. Uh, Chuck Daly came on as head coach. Kenny Anderson uh, 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 was part of the team. Uh, Derek Coleman was a part of the team. Chris Morris part of the team. So they were kind of an exciting team, and they did get to the playoffs, but never really enjoyed a great deal of success. When I first started, it was really more about the other team. Hey, join us tomorrow night because Michael Jordan and the Bulls will be here. You won't want to miss that. What we were really saying is join us tomorrow night because the Bulls are going to kick the Nets' butt and they're going to lose by 28. So it was more, really more about the other team. But what it was was I got to see those stars that I know are in the distant past now, but I got to see the Michael Jordans. I got to see the Magic Johnsons. I got to see uh, the greats of that era. So then you went from the, the Nets to the Devils. How did that come about? Well, I was actually doing both. Uh, you know, I was sliding back and forth. I wasn't full-time Nets, and I wasn't full-time Devils. Well, I'll be honest. My real break with the Devils uh, Again, part of my growth at Sports Channel, but I was filling in, uh, doing backup work on their game. Stan Fischler, who's still covering the team uh, for MSG Networks, was uh, the guy. And Sports Channel had a backup channel. So if the Devils were on the main channel, mm -hmm. say on a Tuesday, and the Islanders were on the backup channel, Stan could only be in one place, obviously. So the opportunity was there for me to do some of those games, the backup games. And, you know, Stan was a great mentor and really set me up. Uh, hockey was not as familiar 
to me of a sport. And so Stan would make sure I got the right guy to interview. Make sure you talk to Paul Coffey. He'll always give you good answers. This guy, I won't name names, but so-and-so won't give you good answers. You'll look better if you get this guy. So Stan set me up. So at any rate, I was just really kind of bopping along and and filling in on the Devils broadcast. But what happened was I became full-time with the Nets, still filling in here and there on the Devils. And I guess it was 1996, uh, for whatever reason, I'm not really sure. I never asked him, and it was fine because it worked out brilliantly. My contract was up. I got a call from my agent. He said, the deal is done. You are now covering the Devils. You're not going to be covering the Nets. I was like, what? I was having so much fun covering the Nets and you know, made great friends with Bill Raftery and Ian Eagle and Bob Papa guys who were working the games at the time. So I said, whoa, 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 what am I doing covering hockey? I love basketball. And he said, well, you know, we talked about it, and uh, the executive producer at the time, now at MSG Networks, thought you'd be a better hockey guy. And I later found out that Lou Lamorello wanted me to cover the games. Uh, again, not sure they had somebody doing it, why that person fell out of favor and and I became uh, the, the announcer of the day. I don't know, but Lou insisted that I do it. And and, and MSG tried to keep me on the net side. Uh, they had the guy that they had covering it. They had some other candidates that they had pushed in front of Lou on the table, and he kept coming back to me. So that was fantastic because while at first – I'll be honest. I was like, "Why am I covering hockey again?" I, I really, I see myself as a basketball guy who does some hockey. Ultimately, what happened is the Devils win a Stanley Cup championship in 2000. I had been part of the coverage, but again on a part-time basis in '95. But I cover them as they win in 2000. They go to the final in 2001. They win again in 2003. And I've really been with the Devils ever since. So the Nets then wound up moving to the Yes Network, and they got different people. Uh, to do some games. So who knows, if I had stayed around and was covering the Nets, I might not be doing what I'm doing now. So uh, very grateful for the opportunity. So really, it was just doing my job and and then somebody taking, you know, the opportunity to say, we want you to be part of our team. So what was, so when you first got a chance to do full-time yeah. uh, with the Devils, how was that experience like? Well, it was a thrill. First off, what I eventually did was I gave up my work at, TV3 at Suburban Cablevision uh, because I wanted to devote myself full-time uh, to regional television. At the time when I left, which was early in 94, I had not yet gotten a full, full-time job. That uh, I can get into. I covered the Mets and, and eventually the Devils, and, and that's what it led to. But I was, I was covering the Nets, and then the Devils came along. Really what it did is it, I, I wound up finding a home, not unlike when I walked into WSOU, I found a place where uh, the culture was about winning. They had Hall of Fame players. Uh, they were a dominant franchise. I got a chance to work with a great broadcaster in uh, Doc Emmerich. Uh, I had fun working with Chico Resch. Not that he's not a great broadcaster, but Doc is the best of the best. Continued my relationship with Stan Fischler. So I found a great group of people to work with and an opportunity uh, to grow and an opportunity to improve on my craft. Uh, what I found is a franchise dedicated to winning, a franchise that did win, and there's something to be said for that. The Devils are getting back to, the, uh, certainly they have the the notion of winning. They are driven by winning. Ray Shiro wants to win. He has won in Pittsburgh. But the losses have been more than the wins, unfortunately, the last few years, and it's taken a while for the Devils to get back to that point. But when you walked into a building with that Devils team, 
If you were on the road and you walked into a building, there was something special. The crowd was like, ooh, the devils are here. And there were Hall of Fame players, and Scott Stevens and Marty Bordeaux and Scott Niedermeyers and other great devils players. So um, from a guy who went from, huh, what am I doing, you know, hockey, why am I doing hockey? I've come to grow in the sport, love the sport, appreciate deeply what the sport means and how much the devils mean. You know, and for me, like, honestly, it was really just doing more sports. Man. I mean, I'm so lucky. I got I got opportunities along the way. I've never had to use my degree. I've never had a callus, a bone bruise, or a body bruise from heavy lifting. I get a chance to speak to people. I did on television. I now do it on radio who love their teams. I get to do it on a regular basis, and I get to live a dream, really. So... How did the Mets opportunity come about? Well, Sports Channel had the rights, Mm -hmm. and again, they were looking to expand what they did. I I started working in 95, I guess it was. Um, Sports Channel had a program called Game Time, which was their pregame show. It was the same name for all of their products, so the Nets, the Devils, and the Mets. Those were their three primary professional teams. In fact, there are only three uh, professional teams. And so they decided, again, they wanted to kick up their programming a little bit. They had a pregame show called Game Time. Bob Papa was hosting it. And, again, I was doing some Nets and Devils work. Um, Bob left. He had so much Giants work on his plate and his national work that this wasn't possible for him to handle. Uh, Just only have so much time in a day and so many days in a week. So I had been backing up, and they offered me the job full time. So I took that. After about a year, then everything started to come together in terms of Lamorella wanting me to be part of the Devils. And then Sports Channel decided they needed to move the pregame shows for all of those teams to the locations where the games were being played. We were doing it from a remote studio. And they wanted more on-site access to players and coaches and, and so on and so forth. And so... I went out and I did the pregame show for the Mets from wherever they were. I had been doing it in a studio, and then part of that was going out to also do it for the Devils. Um, So it all kind of came together at once. Uh, But it was through my association with Sports Channel. It was through my association doing that work. But really, I was thrown right into the Mets. With the Devils, as I mentioned, I was doing it part-time. I was filling in here and there. The Mets I had never touched except from a remote studio, and then suddenly... Uh, in the middle of 96, they were like, okay, we're changing, the studio show's done, everybody's going out on remote, and you're going to start uh, doing the Mets, and I you know, started that in late summer that year, and was able to do it through 2005. What are your memories of covering the Mets? My favorite team growing up remains my favorite team. Uh, they were my boys of summer. My favorite moments are the World Series in 2000, uh, when they went to the World Series, lost to the Yankees. Then the following year, they make a run at the playoffs but fall short, but that was 9-11 and, and the emotion of that uh, tragedy and then the Mets making a late run and the first game played in New York City after 9-11 was at Chase Stadium. Uh, the Mets played the Atlanta Braves. Mike Piazza with a home run that gave them the lead in the bottom of the eighth inning in a game they won. So my memories are varied. The elation of the success of just winning games and in 99 going uh, to the playoffs and again in 2000 to the World Series and also the emotion of games like post 9-11, that first game afterward. Uh, You know, I was there when baseball retired Jackie Robinson's number and Bill Clinton was at Shea Stadium uh, to 
partake in the ceremony. Uh, got a chance to talk to Sandy Koufax that night, which was just brilliant. But again, growing up a Met fan and coming into the living rooms and bedrooms of fans everywhere, fans that were like me, <laughs> and I'm the one telling them about the, the Mets, was just fantastic. So, you know, again, just traveling all over the country doing Mets games was wonderful. But those are the highlights. World Series, Robinson's number being retired, um, working with Ralph Kiner, who was... I won't say my hero, but a guy I grew up watching and listening to because he did radio and television for the Mets, and now I got a chance to work alongside him. Uh, it was just a blast. I was going to ask, how was it like working with Ralph Kiner? Most gentle, kindest, the most humble Hall of Famer I've ever met. You know, uh, his numbers now pale a little bit. You know, he didn't have 500 home runs. He didn't have 400 home runs. But at the time of his retirement, he was one of the great home run hitters of all time. Uh, a back injury shortened his career. Uh, he was a star. He was someone who lived life to its fullest. And, and by that I mean is, you know, would, would he get angry if something didn't go his way? Of course, we all do. But, you know, Ralph treated every day as an adventure and to have some fun. So the game was very important to him. He loved it. He played it for a long time. He was a broadcaster for many decades. But, you know, after the game, it was time to enjoy yourself. And Ralph loved telling stories. He loved people. He loved going out and having dinner, uh, had the occasional glass of red wine. And he taught me to have fun. You know, he taught me that, you know, not crazy fun, not out of control fun, but enjoy life. You know, you're lucky. You're doing broadcasting, covering baseball. It's warm. We're in Montreal on a summer night. Am I missing something? You know? So I loved working with him. I really did. And again, he treated everyone so well. He always had time for an autograph, always had time for uh, a conversation. Uh, fans loved him, but he he never was too big for his britches. Now, one of the most memorable parts of the Devils broadcast during the time that you got to do the premium post was um, Matt and the Maven. Yeah. Talk about how that got formed. Well, you know, Stan and I had that relationship going back to when I first started breaking into the business. So, you know, here I am. I'm hosting the pregame show. And it really kind of started innocuously. But So I'm hosting the pregame show, which means that each segment I would welcome people back and introduce whatever it was, a feature, looking back at highlights. And then Stan would be on the home games, and Stan would always have his – gossip, uh, his trade rumors, his observations. And Stan, to this day, still looks at the game from a unique perspective uh, and challenges convention. So we would go at it, I mean, kind of in a friendly way. I would say something was black, and he would say it was white. And I would say, well, how could you see it that way? And then we'd go back and forth and jab each other. It was good verbal jousting. So the producer, Roland Dratch is his name, and he's the current producer of the Devils. He said, you know, like, you guys got something here. The fans love it. Um, and, and it was never scripted, and it wasn't part of every pregame show. It would just develop. He'd say, you know, uh, the Devils should consider acquiring Paul Coffey from Pittsburgh. I'm like, you know, why is Pittsburgh ever going to trade Paul Coffey? Well, well, I said, well, you know, and, and it was like that kind of deal. <clears throat> and I was younger. He was older, so I think that played a role as well. And so Roland said, you know what, we should make this a regular segment. 
uh, you know, each game there should be a Matt and the Maven. And so we would do that and we would go over whatever topics we wanted to talk about. And, you know, we didn't necessarily say, okay, well, we agree on this, but, you know, for tonight's show, we'll disagree. You know, we had our natural disagreements because we saw things differently, but we had great fun. Fans thought it was serious, like we hated each other's guts. And the truth of the matter is when that segment was over, we laughed, shook hands. I disagreed with them, but we had some fun. So it really came out of... uh, it was spontaneous. It was just natural personalities disagreeing and a producer seeing great possibility. You know, we developed it where we would take uh, emails and we would give out gifts. And it really became kind of a, a must-see part of Devil's, uh, the Devil's Broadcast. I will say this. If we were doing it today, uh, in the day and age of social media and retweets and gifts and everything else... I think we would be even bigger, and you will find that I do not brag too often about what I do. I am I'm very grounded, and I'm lucky to do what I do. But we had something special, and it was funny, and it was offbeat, and there were funny faces, and there were pieces of the studio that would maybe fall down in the middle of the set. Uh, we would break out laughing because he would say something, or I would think something, and, and he would know what I was thinking, and he'd crack up laughing. And we, we I mean, there, there has to be bloopers out there of us just laughing uncontrollably uncontrollably live and the producers go and keep going but we have 90 seconds more to fill and just funny stuff and uh, we were we we hit an audience that appreciated what we did but it would have been interesting to see what would have happened in this day of social media yeah i remember there was like i forgot this um the duck that you guys had. Yes, Lucky out. Duck. <laughs> Lucky Duck would come down from the ceiling. That was a takeoff from an old television show uh, called You Bet Your Life. It was hosted by Groucho Marx. And they had a duck that would come down if you happen to say the lucky word, uh, the magic. Uh, was it the lucky word, the magic word? You said the magic word. I forget what it is. Anyway, if you said it during the course of the show, the duck would come down as the contestant. You'd win like 25 bucks. It was an old, old show. At any rate, so we kind of stole it. And we said, let's see how we can incorporate it. So we went out and got this stuffed duck. And uh, we would just rig it up, you know, on the set. And we'd take some emails. And when we thought that was the best email, boom, down would come Lucky Duck. And the, the, the person who sent in the email and was chosen as the email of the night would receive a gift a t-shirt uh, or some sort of a gift mostly it was a t-shirt a Matt and the Maven t-shirt and then we raffled Lucky Duck off in a charity auction we got like 6,000 bucks for the darn thing which is amazing it was just a stuffed animal uh, and then we went out and got Chuck the Duck he was the follow-up to Lucky and the same same idea kind of would fly out of the out of the screen into the set and sometimes it'd stand in the head sometimes it hit me in the head it was just a lot of fun so let's talk about your how you got your current position as the radio play-by-play voice of Devil. So how did that opportunity come about? Sorry, but I'm eating a lollipop. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm doing the pregame shows. I'm doing the Mets and the Devils. The Mets leave. They form their own network, SNY. And as often happens in this business, uh, a new network, they hire their own people. So the Mets part of my career came to an end after 2005, and I'm still doing the Devils. And I loved doing the pregame show and the postgame show and the intermissions, and the crew was great. But when I got into this business, I, was, I wanted to be a play-by-play guy. 
and I never really had the opportunity on a full-time basis. I would fill in for Doc Emmerich when he had a national assignment, but that would mean, oh, I don't know, 12 to 15 games, depending on how busy his year was, that I would do annually. So the Devils make a change in their radio booth, and they're looking for a play-by-play announcer. And for a while, I kind of ignored it. I didn't think, eh, you know what, I'm, I kind of viewed myself at that point as a television guy. Um, I hadn't a, a lot of radio play-by-play, certainly not in many, many years. So I thought, nah, that's not really for me. But the job remained unfilled, and this is only a, over a short period of time. But the job had remained unfilled. And the more I thought about it, I thought, well, if not now, when? Uh, I didn't know if or when Doc might leave doing the play-by-play for the Devils, which you know he subsequently did, but I wasn't sure when that would happen, if it would happen, and I certainly wasn't sure that if it when it happened, I would be the guy. So I thought, all right, here's a team I know. I don't have to leave the area. You know, maybe I should just ask Lou Lamorello, general manager and president of the team at the time, uh, if it would be possible. So I threw my hat in the ring, and one thing led to another. We talked about it, and Lou took a chance on a guy who had very little radio play-by-play experience, very little television play-by-play experience, at least since I had started to do regional broadcasting, and gave me the job. And I'll be forever grateful for that because he took a bit of a chance, but he got uh, it enabled me to live out a dream uh, and live a lifelong goal, which is to be a play-by-play guy. And I wouldn't have left this area to pursue such a job. Uh, I wouldn't have uprooted my family to do that. I wouldn't have gone cross-country, but here it was in my backyard with the team I knew. And so it was taking a bit of a chance on both ends because I was giving up something. I know giving up television, it's it's visible, it's the tail that wags the dog, but I wanted to be a play-by-play guy. And I talked it over with my wife, and I thought at my stage of my career, if not then, when? And so let's give it a try. And it's worked out. It's been great. Let's talk about that first season doing play-by-play. What was the toughest part about going from being a pre-game, pre- and post-game show host to now play-by-play announcer for a full 82-game schedule? (laughs) Well, first off, I found out quickly that there was a lot of work to do to improve, that the game moved a lot faster than I thought. It was a different, not that I thought, but it moved a lot faster when you're calling the action on radio compared to television where you can kind of take some breaths and just let the picture show where the puck is and that's fine and you can be speaking with your partner and you don't have to describe everything. So I had to learn pacing. I had to learn what to put in and what to leave out. You can't announce every pass. The game moves way too fast for that. So I was I was somewhat overwhelmed in that first year. The learning curve was steep. Uh, I had to get up to pace as quickly as I could. I'm not sure how good I was back then. I'm not sure how good I am now, <laughs> necessarily. Uh, but I know I have improved. But I know then uh, there were nights I walked out of there going, what the heck just happened? It was really, really difficult. Uh, but to Lou Lamorello's credit, he saw that I was working at it. He saw that I was getting better as the year went on. And he continued to support me. And now I'm at the point where Oh, yeah, like everybody else, you know, you you listen back and you go, I could do that a little bit better or a little bit differently. You're always trying to improve. I think I've developed into a decent play-by-play guy. I'm happy with what I do, and 
Hopefully the Devils will continue to be happy with me for a long, long time. But that first year was tough. It was just, it was a lot. I was, I mean, I, nothing changed in terms of travel. I was traveling full-time with the Devils. None of that changed much in my personal life. It's just the preparation. You know, that's another thing, too. It, it, again, the game and just going into the booth and saying, oh, my God, after two and a half hours, did I really touch all the bases? Did I hit all the notes? I don't know. And I got the, this game tomorrow night, and then we got a day off, and then we got two more back-to-back. Um, but I will say that the preparation is enormously different. You know, you certainly know the sport when you're the pregame host, but you have to know a lot more to be a play-by-play guy. And I say that because, let's just say, Tuesday night in Columbus, as we record this, the Devils have lost on a Sunday going to go to Columbus. Not to, I don't know exactly what MSG is going to do, but I have a, a pretty good idea. It's going to be a review of tonight's game. It's going to be some interviews that they did after the game, put a little package together. They may have a feature story about Dalton Prout returning to Columbus, where his career started. He was just um, acquired by the Devils from the Blue Jackets last Wednesday. They'll have a little bit of a preview looking uh, ahead, bringing in Kenny and, and Steve. And Deb does a fantastic job. She's very good at what she does. But you're really a traffic cop. A lot of work's been done by other people. All you need to know is, hey, welcome to the game. It's brought to you by so-and-so. Tonight is Devils in Columbus. Sunday they lost 3-0. Six shut out of the season. Let's take a look at some highlights. You read it off. It's not an easy job. It's just structured. Now you go to do the play-by-play, and you better know something about the fourth-line center because he could score the most important goal of the night. When there are lulls, you better have a story to tell about the league or some other players or observations. So there's a lot more work that goes into play-by-play than there does to be a a, a studio host. So what are your favorite calls and memories of since you've been the play-by-play announcer on radio for the Devils? Yeah, until I call a Stanley Cup clinching game, the best call... And the one that I'll, I'll always remember is Adam Henrique's overtime goal in Game 6 of the 2012 Eastern Conference Finals. The Devils go to the Stanley Cup for the first time since 2003. They beat their nemesis, the Rangers, and uh, they do it at home in thrilling fashion. And to me, you know, Henrique, you know, battle in front, they jab at it, boom. You know, they score, Adam Henrique with the game-winning goal, and the Devils move on to the Stanley Cup Finals. That is a night I'll always remember, remember, and that is the call that I'll always remember because this joint was jumping. It was what sports is all about, played at the highest level, and uh, an emotional game against a great rival and a win for the Devils and on to the Stanley Cup. So that's the one that I recall the most. Okay, I guess I'll finish up with this. Uh, I always ask my guest, how do you like to be remembered when it's all said and done? <laughs> wow. Uh, you know what? I, I think I'd like to be known as a pro. Um, I, I think I do a good job. I try my best. I try to bring the emotion of the game to the listener, the highs and the lows. I'm not afraid to tell it as it is when the devils aren't that good. Uh, I certainly live the roller coaster life of the fan, the ups and the downs. I'd like to also think I'll be known as a, you know, a decent guy, you know, who's just having some fun, 
uh, kind of borrowed a page from Ralph Kiner, trying to make some time for everyone, et cetera, et cetera. Always a smile. I don't know. I think I just, I, I, I think just a pro, a guy who came ready to work every night, loved what he did, and that came through in his work. All right. Thanks to my guest, Matt Lachlan. This is Kofi Pia saying so long and hope you listen to another edition of the Broadcast Journal. Thanks, Kofi. I don't know how long that was. I was bullshitting with Thank you.